Let's open your Bible to the middle and follow the big numbers to uh, number 148. And as we begin, I want to do a little word association with you. This is an interactive part. We don't always do this, obviously, but I wanna hear from you guys. I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna give you a word and I want you to give me a word back that correlates or is the opposite of the word that I'm gonna give you. For instance, if I say large, what would you say? Small. Large, small. So we're going to go opposites, okay? What if I say up? What would you say? All right, now we're getting it. Fat, skinny, okay. Square, round, good. Tall, black, female. I know that one could be controversial these days. All right, here's the last one. Heaven. Heaven. Okay, so most of us look at hell as being the opposite of heaven, and in many ways it is. But did you know that when we look through Scripture, we don't see heaven and hell paired very often. In fact, over 340 times, heaven and earth are paired together. They're, they're distinct. They're, they're shown as being, this is God's space and this is our space. And this is something God created. So heaven and earth would really correlate together. I know it's kind of a trick question, but did you know that heaven and hell or Hades or Sheol are only ever mentioned four times in scripture as, as being together? Heaven and earth is really what we're gonna to consider today as we look at Psalm 48. We're gonna see how, how the occupants of both the heavens and the occupants of earth are called to praise God. They're commanded to praise Yahweh. And we'll get to reflect a bit on how they praise him and why. Now we've already read the entirety of the Psalm, so let's pray as we, as we meditate on it, as we dive into it a bit more. God, we pray that over these next few moments, that you would speak as we consider your word. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you. Speak for your people are listening. Speak, we pray, by the truth of your word, by the still small voice of your spirit. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. So before we dive into the psalm, I want to just help us understand and look at the beauty of what is there. I, I mentioned this a little bit in the Dear Family this week, but if you have your, your, your copy of God's Word, look real briefly. I mean, it's not going to be on the screen, so I want you to look, look real briefly. Your, your Bible may have a natural division after verse 6. A lot of times what happens is editors of Bibles will, will lump things together. And really, there are two natural divisions in this psalm. In verses 1 through 6, it refers to the occupants of heaven. It talks about those people, those beings, those celestial places that are up there. And if, if you notice when we read this earlier, there's this movement from general to, to specific, from outward almost to inward. Listen to it just for a moment. It says, praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him all his angels. Praise him all his hosts. Praise him sun and moon. Praise him all you shining stars. Praise him you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. 
It's sort of this outside in general to specific view. But then in the second section, verses 7 through 14 that Charlotte read just a few moments ago, it's directed to the occupants of earth. So the first half is to the heavens. The second half is to the occupants of the earth. And here the psalmist begins low. He starts in the depths of the earth. He, he goes down to things that we can't even see. And then he moves high to the weather. And then he begins to descend, finally concluding this entire section with a call for people to praise God. And we could almost look at this whole psalm as being in, in the shape of a funnel, right? It begins out there in space, out there in the heavens. And it comes down here to earth, and ultimately it comes down to you and me, as he says here, those who are close to God, those who are near to God. And the whole point that he's getting at is this. If you look in, in uh, verses 13 to 14, the one translation says it this way. It says, let them praise the name of Yahweh, because his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth, above earth and heavens. He has raised a high horn for his people. Praise for all his faithful, for the children of Israel, a people close to him. Praise Yah. So as we get into this, if you want to take notes, there's, there's something I think you can download online or you can uh, look in your bulletin there. But the first thing that we get to see is that, that praise, where there's to be praise for Yahweh from the heavens in verses one through six. And it almost seems strange that the psalmist would say this because those things that are out there, how do they praise God? Do they have a voice? Some people would say that everything vibrates, everything is moving, everything has different frequencies. And if only we could hear, we would hear them making noise. But we also need to recognize for the, for the psalmist, these heavens are the abode of God. The sky, the outer spaces, everything up there is where God is. It's not that he is everything, but that's where he resides if we could see him. But it almost then begs the question, who is called to praise God from the heavens? Angels and heavenly hosts are, are called. We see that in these, in these verses. They do have voices and they have some volition. And so it makes sense that angels would praise God. But what about the other things that are up there? The other inhabitants of the heavens include the stars and planets, which some people think might be the heavenly host that the psalmist is referring to. The sun and moon, the sky, how can they praise God? They have no mind to choose. They have no will to decide whether or not to praise God. And it seems like these things praise God by doing what they were created to do by living fully, by existing in all that God gave them to exist in. The sun gives light to the daytime. The moon and stars give light to night. The waters above the heavens give rain on the earth. All of these things praise God by doing what they were created to do. But then it begs another question, why? Why do they praise God? And essentially, the, the brief answer is because God established them. Verses 5 and 6 in this psalm talks about the fact that it is God who put all things in motion. The psalmist writes that it is God who spoke them into existence. Look at what it says in verses 5 and 6. 
Let them, these heavenly beings, these heavenly places, praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. If we were to go back to the beginning of scripture, we would find in Genesis chapter one that God simply said, let there be, and there was. God spoke and it came into existence. God is the one who started it all. There are some who believe that God's spoken word prompted an immediate existence. Six declarations, six manifestations, six days of creation. Others believe that God's spoken word took thousands or millions or billions of years to come to fruition. And still some other people think it's something in between. But however it is, however God did it, however scripture describes what happened, what we have to recognize that it is God who spoke it into existence. It is God who started it. And the heavens praise God because of their creator. They get to manifest God's handiwork. Look at what it says in Psalm 19, verse 1. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. But the heavens also get to declare his righteousness to humanity. Psalm 96, verse six, 97, verse 6 says, The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the peoples see his glory. Last week, there was, uh, I've told you many times that, that Jim likes to come and walk around in the gym, walk around the hallways. And, and as I was preparing this before we went out of town, he came in and he, he, he talked about the fact that uh, in Romans 1, I don't have this in my notes, but in Romans 1, it says that all of creation has made God's... Let me just turn there. I'm sorry. Jim, you could probably quote it to me really easily right there, right? In Romans chapter 1, it says, verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So therefore, humanity is without excuse. All of creation proclaims God's handiwork, his righteousness. Psalm 8, verses three to four says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? The heavens are called to praise Yahweh. It's what they were made to do. They can't help it. They reflect his creativity, his power, his righteousness, his splendor. But I think one, the other thing this psalm helps us see is that not only are the heavens called to praise God, this psalm helps us to see that praise for Yahweh should come from earth as well. Praise Yahweh from the earth. And then that begs the question, who is called to praise Yahweh in the earth? Who is called upon to do that? And the psalmist begins in the lowest parts of the, of the earth great sea creatures in all deeps. In some translations, it, it talks about sea dragons. But think about this. Think about what we don't know that lives in the deepest part of the oceans. 
There are, there are deep places that are too deep for us to study. We don't have the equipment to go down that deep to see what's even there. There are creatures, mysterious creatures that live there. Some are beautiful. Some are ugly. Did you know that in 2017, marine biologists discovered a fish at the bottom of the... 2017, it was just a few years ago. And this creature is called the pseudo, I'm going to mess this up, pseudoliparis, pseudoliparis swiri. And it's a little snailfish, and they found it 7,966 meters deep. Now, if, you're, if you don't know your metric stuff, if you were to take the Grand Teton Mountains and go twice as high, flip it over, that's how deep this thing is underwater. The National, uh, National Geographic article, article noted that this snailfish is almost pink. It's about twice as long as a cigar. And it's, it's nearly translucent, so you can see its organs from the outside. But get this. It can withstand more pressure than 1,600 elephants standing on its head. This little tiny creature is at the bottom of the ocean. And there are depths, there are ocean depths two miles deeper that we do not even understand yet. And we don't see what's down there. And so the, the psalmist is saying, from the depths of the earth, from the lowest things, from the little snailfish, 7,966 meters below the surface of the water, you praise Yahweh. But then he goes down there, he goes up high. He goes up to the storm, to the weather patterns, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind. I understand, you know, we were in, in the Outer Banks this last week, and we didn't have a ton of rain until Friday, but I kept getting alerts on my phone that you guys were getting flooded out up here. Is that right? You got to see firsthand those beautiful and powerful storms as, as I, I just think it's so mysterious. When you look at these things, these clouds up in the air, and yet they, they float aimlessly, almost aimlessly. It seems like it to us. And yet they'll pour forth water. How does the water stay up there? And it is, it is a mystery and a wonder. And the psalmist acknowledges that, that these weather patterns are an act. They act because God has commanded them. It is God who is moving and, and ordaining Weather patterns. So the psalmist is saying, from the lowest things to the highest things that we can see, you praise God. And then he begins to come down a little bit. He looks at the great mountains and all the hills. And then he comes down a little farther to fruit, fruit trees and, and tall cedars. Trees that provide food and those that simply grow tall and provide shade. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, if you've ever been out west, if you've ever been to California and seen some of the great sequoia trees, these are giant mammoth trees. In fact, the largest tree in the world is called the General Sherman tree. And it's hard for us to imagine how tall something is. But at 275 feet tall, it is nearly the same height as the, wash, as the Capitol building downtown from the foundation to the top of the little statue on the, on the dome. Its lowest branch 
Try climbing this. Its lowest branch is 130 feet off the ground. The, the thickest branch is, is nearly seven feet thick. And at its base, the diameter is 36 feet wide, which would be about half of this room. Imagine a tree that big. And all it does is grows tall in praise and glory to God. And then the psalmist, after going to the height, to the mountains, to these big trees and small trees, he gets to beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, large animals, small animals, domesticated animals, rodents, even that rat that is tormenting our backyard these days, and bugs, they're all called to praise God. And as with the heavens, they get to praise God in many, in really by simply being, by doing what God ordained them to do. Their very existence speaks of the greatness of their creator. They have no choice but to praise God and they glorify God by their group of creatures on the earth that are called to praise God. And one commentator notes that these are the only rational beings that are in this list that the psalmist puts together. After contemplating all of these other elements in all of creation, the psalmist finally gets to humans. Look at what it says in verse 11 and 12. He says, kings of the earth and all people, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Now think about this. Where all of the other elements of creation simply adore God, they worship God, they honor, they praise him by being humans as, as rational beings, we're given a choice. We are the only beings on earth who are truly rational. There is a sense in which everything, all the other parts of creation should compel us to worship God, that should compel us to praise God. We get to choose whether or not we will. And the psalmist leaves no one out. From the most important or most highly acclaimed to the most overlooked, they are all called to praise Yahweh. Kings, they tend to garner praise for themselves. I mean, we look at political leaders and they want to get all the credit for everything that happens, right? Kings and princes, they want people to worship and adore them. They seek power and acclaim. Young men and women tend to have an eye for each other and they're on the lookout for, for one another. When you think about the, the old and the experiences that they have and the young and they have no experience, they're all together called to praise Yahweh. But why? Why are they called to praise Yahweh? And, and yet we find the answer in the last two verses. Let me read these again, verses 13 and 14. It says, let them, the inhabitants of the earth, the people of the earth, let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near him. Praise the Lord. It seems like there are three reasons why the psalmist here is calling us to praise God. 
And, and the first is this, because of Yahweh's name. If you remember two weeks when we began looking at these, this summer Psalter series, we, we learned that Yahweh is that covenant name, that name that God gave to Moses to say, this is who I am. This is who, who you are to call me. This is how I will relate to you. There is no other name in heaven or on, or on earth that is greater than Yahweh's name. His name should elicit our praise. His name should endear us to him. Rulers and powerful people, men and women, young and old, will do well to acknowledge what creation seems to do naturally. The creator over all things has made himself known to us. Will we praise him for it? Will we praise him because of his name? But there's a second thing the psalmist notes, and that is Yahweh's majesty. He writes, his majesty is above earth and heaven. There are those two words again, heaven and earth, earth and heaven, those, those counteracting, those opposing forces in many ways. The splendor and glory, honor, excellency of God is above, better, is far superior than anything we can see than all of the majesty of earth or the things in the heavens. I mean, have you ever noticed we have a tendency to admire beautiful things? Last night, Danielle and I were walking when we got back and the, there was a big full moon and it was just rising above. Beautiful. And yet the splendor of God's majesty is far beyond that. Or those early morning sunrises when those purples and pinks begin to flow into dark blue. As the, as the night gives way to the morning, it sort of makes you go, wow. But are we worshiping God because his splendor is greater than all that we can see? The psalmist calls us to praise God because he is better. There is none like him. Not only does he have a, a unique name, but his character and grandeur should cause us to praise him. But thirdly, we could say that we are called to praise God because of Yahweh's care. Yahweh's care. Look at what it says in, in verse uh, 14. For he has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. When we consider how big and wonderful God is, his majesty and splendor, the God who put all of life into motion, provides sustenance for the universe, this great God has a heart for his people, has a heart for you and for me. The psalmist states that he has raised up a horn for his people, and this, this horn is, is the Testament way of he's, he's given dignity to this people. He's, he's given strength or power. You see, if you think about it, Israel was not a strong nation when God called them out, when God anointed them and appointed them to be his people. It wasn't because they were strong. But even for us, look at what, what the Bible tells about who we are. In, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. And then it continues in verses 4 through 9. It says, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. God has a heart for his people. He has a heart for you. He has a heart for me. Elsewhere in in the book of Romans, chapter 5, we read, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then in verse 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, that we would fully grasp the love and care that we receive from God. He is great and mighty, but Yahweh is also near. He is near to you and to me. He saw us in our helpless state and he, Jesus Christ, made a way for us to be in a right relationship with him. I hope that you grasp that. The inhabitants of the heavens are called to praise God by doing what they were created to do because God spoke all things into existence. But when it comes to the inhabitants of the earth, it's not just because we've been spoken into existence. It's because God has given a covenant name to us, Yahweh, and we get to praise him because of that. God has also, um, he has shown us his majesty and his glory. And even in all of that, being the one being, the one thing in all of creation that is above every other thing, He has made himself known to us. And then on top of that, as if that's not enough, we get to worship him. We get to praise him because of his care for us. Oh, praise him. Praise him in song. Praise him in prayer. Praise him in submission to his will. Praise him by receiving his salvation through Jesus Christ. And if you've not done that yet. I pray that you would. Talk to me after church or let's get together this week and talk about what it means to receive that full love that God has for you. But whatever we do, we need and should praise God. As I was preparing this last week, uh, a song kept worming its way through my brain. And this is a song by a group called daddy weave and it's called overwhelmed and so the band's going to come up we're going to teach this song to you guys and 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 as you get the words i want to encourage you to sing along um so as a part of sermon if you can call it that we're going to sing together and then i'll pray and then we'll do all the stuff to finish out the service is that okay but why don't you guys stand with us as we as we learn this song together this is overwhelmed by like i said daddy weave Spinning a heavenly dance, oh God, all 
are in awe of who you are. Lord, you are beautiful, wonderful, glorious, majestic. Lord, your name is above every other name. Your glory is above all that we see. And yet in all of that, you care for us. So Lord, thank you. We are in awe, we are humbled that you would think on us the way you do. Lord, you didn't even spare your own son that we might be right with you. Lord, may we never take that for granted. May we never cease to praise you. 